Welcome to the Buyers Agent Institute podcast, the show that will take you from your nine to five to living a life on your terms. We hear from the experts themselves, sharing how they created their success and give you actionable steps to help you create a lifestyle by design. Becoming a buyer's agent requires passion, dedication, and great mentorship. This podcast will share with you all three so that you can turn buying property into a career. I use buyer's agents for seven of my own purchases. So got a good understanding about how they work, the things that I liked um, that they did and areas I identified as well where I thought there could be improvements from, from the customer side. So a lot of when I built my business, I built it from the outside in, thinking about what was my own experience of using buyer's agents. Welcome to the Buyers Agent Institute show. The purpose of the show is to bring awareness to buyers agents, to bring awareness to the career opportunities that the buyers agent sector is providing people, to bring awareness to the value that buyers agents are providing to people who need help with buying property. Our goal of the show is to dive and strip back the stories and the journeys of remarkable buyers agents who are paving the way forward in one of the fastest growing real estate career trends Right now, our guest today is Jay Anderson. Jay's career in property investing started back in 2010, and since 2010, he has built a multi-million dollar commercial and residential property portfolio. His career and his professional background started in the hotel industry, and his family have been investing in hotels for generations. Jay right now is running his new buyer's agent business, Jay Anderson Property. I'm really excited today to dive into Jay's story because he's been growing like crazy. I'm excited to introduce Jay. Welcome, Jay. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I remember when we first spoke on the phone, I think you're on the way to a, a fishing trip or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. And I remember when we just initially spoke, I just knew you were going to crush it as a buyer's agent. You just had property running through your blood. You're working, I think, in IT in the hotel industry. And I was like, you're going to be out of there soon. Yeah. I remember that conversation vividly. Yeah, and it's exciting, especially when I'm talking to people like you who are super skilled at buying property for yourself and you, you love it, you live and breathe it. I can just feel and, and I just have this knowing that you're just going to crush it when you jump into the buyer's agent shoes. Yeah, and um, it, it's no, no looking back. Uh, it's, it's been a, an amazing journey so far and I'm so glad that I had that opportunity to have that initial conversation with you and then the follow-up meetings and then, and then going through the Buyers Agent Institute. Um, it's you know, something I wish I did years ago. Did you know much about Buyers Agents before we spoke? I did, I, I used Buyers Agents for seven of my own purchases. So got a good understanding about how they work, the things that I liked um, that they did and areas I identified as well where I thought there could be improvements from, from the customer side. So a lot of when I built my business, I built it from the outside in, thinking about what was my own experience of using buyer's agents, um, what did I really enjoy, and where did I think there was areas for improvement. So I kind of built it from that perspective. Yeah, nice. And I do remember when we first spoke as well, because you've got a few kids and you've got your family to look after, and you've got a lot of mortgages because you've got a big portfolio. 
and making that transition is always a challenge. And I think you set out to maybe jump into the buyer's agent space within 12 months or after 12 months and you seem to get there a lot quicker, right? Yeah, so the, the original plan was to kind of do it part-time um, for 12 to 24 months. Um, I think I kind of started doing it part-time May uh, last year and went full-time in October. In that space as well, there was a six-week European trip as well. So Yeah, nice. And I remember as well, I mean, obviously you, you've got a lot of experience with investing, both commercial and resi. And then you mentioned that you, may, you weren't going to look at the owner-occupier market. And I said, hey, just maybe give it a go give it a feel. And I know now you're quite busy with owner-occupier clients. Yeah. And that's been a, a fascinating experience. I remember the conversation we had was around, because I'm come from an investment point of view and very analytical, I can show you the data and the research explaining why this property makes sense and it's suited to you for an investment. When it becomes owner-occupier, that all, all that information's out the window and now it's purely emotional. And I just felt, well, I'm not a salesperson, I'm not a sa from a sales background, and I'm very data research focused, so maybe that's not an avenue for me. And I remember you said, look, don't shut the door on it, just, just try it once, because it can be quite fulfilling. And i am never forget the first one I purchased was for a lady and her daughter, and the amount of messages and phone calls I had following on from that about how I've managed to buy them their dream home that they never thought possible. And, you know, the, the feedback when you help someone buy their, their family home, their dream home is, is incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling. I feel like you, you, can, you can develop a deeper rapport and relationship with the client because there is so much emotion going in, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, a, you know, when you can really connect and identify their non-negotiables, their deal breakers, what's important to them in a home, you know, property is such an amazing thing because it's, it means something different to every person, you know, especially when you're talking about a family home. So when you can really identify and map out what are the key things that are important to them and then start presenting properties that are a perfect match to them, you know, you can see the look in their eye that they're just going, yeah, like this, this is the right decision. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you've got a, a very deep uh, connection with property and investing and the data and the research. Obviously there's this thing around Australia where everyone loves property. You know, it's very talked about in the papers, it's everywhere. How do you know when you're passionate about property? Because you, you, you started in 2010. So, I mean, how did you know? So I guess the first property I purchased, which is almost directly behind where we are now, um, one of my good friends was doing quite successfully in property investing and, and developing and um, I was kind of watching what he was doing and there was the initial interest in the beginning. Um, he ended up uh, wanting to buy this unit, um, but his finance fell through, so he kind of presented it to me. I got lucky on the first one, came out of the first one thinking I was an expert at the time because I just made all this money. Um, took me 10 months to realize that, hey, I'm not an expert. Um, and if I want to become an expert, I need to dedicate as much time, energy and resources to learn everything I can about what, become, what makes a successful investor. And more importantly, what makes a market tick? You know, what are some fundamentals or some key market signals that have an impact on a property market? And, and why do markets sit flat? Why do some go up? What's happening behind the scenes that's causing this? So from that point, it basically became a full-blown obsession to work out exactly what was happening and why. Um, 
So we, we went and bought the next one and then it just fascinated me even further. So I started going back historically. So I went back to 1970 and then had a look on year on year, what was happening in each market around Australia at the time? What was property prices doing? Were they going up, sitting flat? What was population growth? What was any major infrastructure projects? Um, employment, so unemployment, new job creation. What was happening in each of these markets to see if there was any correlation between different data sets and, and property movement. So. That basically, that was well before I even thought about doing it as a business. That's when it became a full-blown obsession and passion that I'm sitting up late at night, you know, running numbers on a property, even though I wouldn't be able to buy it at that time or maybe couldn't even afford it at that time. I was still running the numbers on it just, just out of the enjoyment. Yeah, so I think you definitely sit in a small minority of people who are going back to 90, 1970s and you're drilling into all that data. But do you think for the, the average person out there, just you know, going on real estate and domain, let's just say you're running, you're, you're, you're a banker and you're spending your days not focused on your work and you're looking on real estate domain, does that constitute that you're super passionate about property or what do you- Probably not, but, but I think it's, uh, it, it's an early indicator. You know, if you're spending time, um, you know, maybe outside of just when you're thinking about buying a property, if you're actually on realestate.com looking at different markets, I think that's certainly an early indication that there's there's some fire in there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm incredibly lucky that now I get to do for my job what's my passion, what I was doing before I was being paid to do it, you know. Um, so I certainly, if you do have that inkling inside you, I think definitely chase it and explore it and try and get a better understanding into, I guess, what this industry does and, and how we help people. How does it feel living living your hobby now? Incredible. Incredible. The hardest thing at the moment is I need to force myself to switch off. And it's not because of um, anything else, it's because I just enjoy it so much and there's so much drive there. Um, it's, it's an obsession. You know, I get up first thing in the morning and it's straight on, it's, it, it's into it. Um, whether it's actively searching for a property for an existing client or if it's just looking at new markets, what's happening, what, what's, you know, what changes have been happening, and then going back to um, other clients where their existing properties are, where they've purchased before, running numbers on that, looking at my own portfolio. It's just, yeah, it's, it's what I call as my sport. It's my, it's my sport, it's my hobby. Yeah, and running, a, obviously it's your first proper business that you've been running yourself, correct? Uh, so we've had some motel businesses, but yeah, this is the, this is the first one that I've been doing on my own, yeah. What have been the challenges? It's, it's, as it's, it's, it's difficult running any business. Have you come across key challenges that? Um, certainly probably just where to dedicate the time. You know, there's, there's so much to do. I'm, I'm a to-do list person, so I write out to-do lists. And you know, I think at the moment I've got a large whiteboard, both sides are full. So it's prioritizing, you know, what's important, what's gonna help grow the business, looking at, you know, dollar productive, non-dollar productive, I do a thing called a um, urgent important matrix. Let's focus on the things that are urgent and important right now. The things that are not important, not urgent, we should look at delegating or outsourcing or scheduling for the future. Because I think if you don't have a structured approach like that, it's very easy as humans where like the path of least resistance. So a lot of times we can be drawn to the easy quick tasks rather than focusing on what are, the, what are going to be the big gains. And they're often the most difficult tasks that we need to complete. I like that, the urgent. I think that's important as part of just really attacking those, those high priority tasks first. Yeah. Because we can get dragged in focusing on those lower priority and we just end up kind of climbing backwards. Yeah, and, 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 and I think in the first couple of months that I was full-time with the business, 
I was trying to, you know, be the, the marketing guy, the accounting guy, wearing all these hats. So I was doing lots of little tasks and probably wasn't getting the fast enough traction that I wanted to. And that was when I took a step back and thought, you know, what's the priorities here? What are going to give me the biggest wins? And then I started looking at, um, yeah, outsourcing and delegating some, some of the other tasks. We caught up for lunch uh, a few months ago and we were having a chat just around your business and your model and how you're growing and you got so many clients. And what, what struck out for me was that you've got, you've got an incredible business model. It's, it's fully referral based. Um, so you've got these trusted partners, these financial planners, accountants, mortgage brokers, these group of people who really trust you with their clients. And I, and I think it's amazing just in such a short period of time, obviously you've got so much skill and knowledge in the space, but you're, you're building such a robust business and it's, it's super impressive. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so 95% of my business is referral based at the moment. Um, you know, I've got a meeting directly after this with a financial plan planning firm in the city, sitting in their boardroom with one of their clients who wants to start um, investing some of their cash they have into building a property portfolio. So it's incredibly honoring when a financial planning firm invites you into their office, into their boardroom to talk to one of their clients. Um, you know, it's a pretty, pretty special feel. Yeah, they must, they obviously view you as their internal buyer's agent. Yep, basically, that's correct. Uh, under your brand, right? Yep, that's correct. Before we kicked off this interview, you mentioned we, you jumped in and said, hey, I've got to chat to you about something. Uh, yep. you had a, and it's happened to me, and I've seen it happen a lot in the industry. You, you had a client who, we don't need to go into the, the specifics, but you had a client who, who purchased a property without you. Yep. Um, and obviously, as buyers agents, we would hope in our contracts, we've got a clause that stipulates that we are protected if the client does go behind our back and buy. Um, how are you going to deal with it? To be followed up. <laughs> I'm, be I'm, not, I'm not sure. So... Um uh, obviously don't want to burn any bridges, but obviously, you know, we do have that protection in our agreement to present, to prevent, you know, that from happening. Um, so it's probably going to start off with just a, you know, a general conversation with the client to find out what happened and, and why and, and, you know, what's the approach moving forward. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you want to keep it amicable. Yeah, certainly. Are you buying a lot off market at the moment? I know you buy a lot in Queensland, right? Yeah, so we're, you know, in, in this month we've bought properties in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. Um, out of the ones we've purchased, probably about 40 something percent's been off market. It's um, a good number. Good number, yeah. Um, perfect example of that is once we identify an area or streets that we want to target. Um, three weeks ago we did letterbox drop to 423 houses on streets that we wanted to target got good results from that so within seven days of dropping those letters we had five phone calls from from owners on those streets wow vendors calling you yeah. direct so you know when you're taking the proactive approach of trying to find off-market deals you know um, i've got francis up in queensland um, working for me so he's super active on the ground as well trying to find these off-market deals there's a lot more to it than just calling up an agent saying hey do you have any off-market properties you know it's about um, you know really being proactive and understanding the area and and approaching those vendors the agents must know you pretty well now yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's a very important relationship to, to build and maintain. Um, and it's good to have an understanding of how that agent works, how they like to be approached. Um, you know, it's about building, connecting with the person as much as the business. Um, you know, if you spend a little bit of time, have a look at what properties that agent has listed on the market. If you call them rather than just asking for, hey, do you have any listings coming up or any off market like this? Actually spend time, have a look at what they've got on the market at the moment. You might say, 
Hey, John, um, got a client interested in a three-bedder in these suburbs. I know you've got 123 Smith Street. Um, however, that's a little bit old for them. They're looking at something a little bit more modern, something like 427 John Parade that you sold three months ago. That's the kind of property they want. You know, if you spend a bit of time to kind of un understand what they do and, 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 you know, it certainly gets you further ahead. How often are you, are you speaking with your clients as you're working through the buyer's agent journey? Is it a daily thing? It, like, how's your communication? Um, I was very structured when I first started the business and kind of, hey, this is the way I want to operate it and the way I want to run it. Um, I quickly learned that just because that's how I want to do it doesn't mean that's how the client wants to receive it. So it's right in the beginning, we try and get an understanding of what sort of expectations they have, what are they comfortable with in terms of communication. You know, some people prefer a phone call, some people prefer a text message or email, understanding how, what are they, what are their expectations from this? Um, how do we normally work? And then we find a happy balance from there. So, you know, I have some clients, time poor professionals, not interested in basically regular updates. They just want to know when we've got a potential property that's a match, send it through to them, let them know what it's going to take to buy it and what needs to be done. And then I've got other ones who are a lot more active within the process and want to understand which markets we're looking at and why. Um, even the vetting process early on with, with the properties, you know, they're, they're really trying to learn through the process as well, which I connect where, well with because when I was using buyer's agents for my own purchase, I was super interested in going, well, hey, why are you doing this this way? So, you know, I'm very open to sharing that with my clients. Yeah, I would expect a lot of the uh, astute clients would be trying to really pick your brain to learn about, you know, your processes and what you're doing. And yeah. as you are saying, vetting and just how you're coming up with all your, your research. Yeah. I'm sure they must dive into a lot of questions with you. Certainly, and, and sometimes you can learn a lot more from the properties that you reject than the ones that you proceed with as well. So that's, that's an interesting dynamic that a lot of clients are interested in. You know, what properties have we looked at and have rejected and what are the reasons why? Yeah, I mean, you were mentioning as well before that you were looking at a property for a client and then obviously did some due diligence, came back, building and pest wasn't too good. So you, you, have, you have to walk away at times, right? Yeah, and then that was an interesting one because my client was um, not interested and very strongly against getting a building inspection done. So um, they had looked at three properties before that, which they had paid for a building and pest and decided not to proceed with. Um, one missed out at auction, the other two not to proceed with. So they were thinking about the cost of a building and pest inspection report. Um, they actually had an associate of theirs go and look at the property as well. I very politely said, look, I understand and I respect, you know, your, your associate, but they're not a builder. They're not a pest inspector, neither are we. We can go and have a look, take photos, do a video for you. We're just really looking at the bones and the cosmetic side of it. Um, but I strongly insist, you know, we get a building inspection report done. They were still very into it because they were wanting to spend $300,000 renovating this property as well. It was about a $1.1 million purchase. Um, we pushed, they ended up doing it. Building inspection report came back. They found a little trail of um, termites in the carport followed that trail and uh, yeah, the termites were all through the building. So we managed to crash the contract based on the uh, terms we'd negotiated um, in the contract and yeah, managed to walk away th from that property um, with no financial cost apart from the cost of the report. Would have been an expensive mistake, right? Expensive. And a lot of people do it. I'm not who are using buyers agents, but just a lot of punters, buyers out there, yep. just 
some of them don't really even look at a contract for sale either. It's just insane. Yeah, and I'm seeing that more and more in Sydney where, you know, now the heat's starting to come back into the Sydney market. People are missing out on properties at auctions. You know, you might miss out at four or five or six properties. You've had a conveyance to review the, the contract. You've had building and pest done. You know, you miss out on five or six properties. This adds up quite quickly. So sometimes they get a bit frustrated with it all and then they find one that they really like and they just want to jump in without doing that sufficient due diligence beforehand so certainly risky yeah and so you're focusing commercial and resi together and you're doing a bit of hotel stuff yeah so on on the commercial side i've got a really strong preference for both accommodation and medical assets so accommodation side because that's my family's background you know we've been buying and investing in motels since the late 1950s um, got two motels myself, so you know that's a market um, I understand very, very well. And then the medical space, um, you know, they anchor tenants. Um, it's a non-discretionary spend for Australians to use medical and healthcare services, um, long-term leases. Um, the tenants in place are high-income earners as well, um, so it all looks very good on that on that medical front as well. Are you finding there's a lot of demand for commercial clients? Yeah, certainly. That's probably the interest levels growing more than any other sector. Um, and a lot of it, I guess it's a mix of two different types of people. One is sophisticated investors who might have, you know, I had a phone call with a gentleman last week, he had 13 properties, very savvy, sophisticated investor. They're all resi. He's now getting to the point where he wants to now start generating a nice cash flow because he's thinking about retirement in 10 years time so wants to jump into commercial but he's very good on him for realizing that it's a very different space commercial and residential they're two completely different beasts Um, so he's looking at signing up to help him um, secure a commercial property and he's one of the people that wants to learn about what we look at and what how we do it with commercial space so it's the sophisticated investors wanting more cash flow, and the other one is baby boomers transitioning into retirement. Mm. A lot of times they're asset rich, they might be high income earners in their, in their day job, in their career, are wanting to transition into retirement, but want to maintain the same lifestyle that they've got. To do that, they need to be able to replace their income. So looking at getting commercial property. It's phenomenal that you're doing both, and you obviously, you understand both very well. I, I typically see, I mean, I, before starting my buyer's agent business, I was focusing in commercial at Charter Hall, then I did resi a bit there. But typically you've got someone who's really strong in the resi or the commercial, and it's great that you've, you've really, really understand both, and you've invested in both yourself, you've been in the trenches yourself for yep. both. And I think it's very valuable to a client because if they do want to diversify and they are very focused in resi, I mean, you can just educate them around the opportunities of maybe looking yep. and you know, changing direction, right? Yeah, and that's you know, I do have some clients approach that are unsure. Do they want to go the resi way or the commercial way? And we can take that holistic approach of saying, well, let's have a look at where you are, what you, where you want to go, what you want to achieve, what you've currently got, and then let's make a bit of a strategic decision about we can even do a bit of a 10-year plan. Well, maybe let's introduce some resi now, get the capital growth, convert that into commercial later on. Yeah. Since starting the business, obviously, I'm not sure how your the flexibility worked when you were in your previous role before you started your buyer's agent business. What have you noticed in starting your own business? Obviously, we've got to work. We work bloody hard as entrepreneurs and running a buyer's agent business. But have you have you been able to spend more time with your family? I know you've got a few kids. Yeah. So certainly, the hour number of hours I work is is longer, and it's I think that's an old saying that entrepreneurs work 80, 80 hours a week so they don't have to work forty hours for somebody else. 
Um, but it's, you know, it's at my choice on how many hours I put in, but it certainly has given me more flexibility around my family that I can choose when I work, when I not, when I won't. Um, an example of that is, you know, Fridays at 11 o'clock, my kids do swimming lessons. So I head down there, go to swimming lessons with them. Um, today's Halloween, so I'm going to head home early, pick the kids up from childcare and go trick-or-treating with them. You know, so it's, it certainly gives you that flexibility around, around time. Yeah, and have you, uh, do you, what do you do to stay motivated? Um, I always focus on growth activities, so both personal growth. Um, I always try and challenge myself to try and learn something new every month. So I think it helps expand the mind, keeps you focused and um, keeps you growing as a person and a business. So an example, um, uh, one of my things that I want to learn this month is speed reading. So photographic speed reading, it's just something I came across and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dedicate a little bit of time um, a couple times a week and just learn that. And that helps me just expand my mind outside of what I am doing and helps me move forward. Um, and outside of that, when I originally started the business, you know, a lot of people talk about the five-year goal. You know, what's the five-year goal? Um, one of my business coaches said, forget that five-year goal. Five-year goals don't mean anything. You put it out there and it's a kind of a, it's a dream, it's a wish. All we need to focus on is the next 90 days. Let's map out what you want to achieve in the next 30 days, in the next 90 days, and that is your laser focus. And if you do that, you'll be much further ahead when that five years comes than if you're just aiming for that, that dream. I love that. Yeah, I, I work on 90 days as well. I think it's very important. Yeah. Where can people find you? So any of the social media chan channels or just Google. So Jay Anderson, J-A-Y, um, jayanderson.com.au. Um, on, yeah, on all the social media channels. Got a website up there as well. Um, or they can give me a call, 0410-746-200. Awesome. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. You've built an awesome business and just seeing how you've transpired since we first spoke. I knew it was, the, I knew it was going to happen, but I guess it's just amazing seeing you living your hobby now. It's just great, mate. So well done. No, thank you. One, one big, big uh, thanks to both you and what you've done with the Buyers Agent Institute because that's a huge component of being able to get me and my business to where it is at the moment. It's been invaluable. So thank, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can check out Jay on his website at jayanderson.com.au. And for those of you who do have an interest in resi or commercial across Australia, Jay is exceptionally talented and skilled and very knowledgeable and he's invested his own money into these asset classes. See you next week. To find out more about how you can become a stellar buyer's agent yourself, head to www.buyersagentinstitute.com.au.